Hey everyone, I'm Pastor Matt Henderson, and today we'll be answering your relationship questions. You are watching Relationship Support. At Jill Taylor asks, what are some narcissistic red flags to look out for at the beginning of a relationship? Well, Jill, why don't you go watch the movie Zoolander, and if anything resonates at all, run. Cole Trickle says, is it a red flag my girlfriend has photos of Channing Tatum all over her bathroom? Cole, my question to you is, do you look like Channing Tatum? Because if not, then there's a red flag there, and you should probably run. Also, is she over the age of 13? At Carolina Reaper asks, my new girlfriend has a fear of Tide Pods. Is that a red flag? This is a red flag, but not for the reason that you may think it is. You see, it's likely that she has a fear of Tide Pods only to avoid doing the laundry. At Peter Quinn asks, should I be concerned my girlfriend has two phones? Well, Peter, in my experience, the only two people who ever have two phones are drug dealers and cheaters. If she has a burner phone and isn't dealing that devil's lettuce, then you've got a major problem in your relationship. Red flag. At Shake It Off 88 asks, this guy I like keeps asking what my zodiac sign is. Should I be concerned? At Shake It Off 88, this is a major red flag. What seems harmless in a zo asking a zodiac sign will likely turn into 12 years down the road, drinking poison with 11 of his best friends to ascend yourself on a comet passing by Earth. That is a red flag. And this has been Relationship Support. how he responds in real conversation. He's just got this wit and he comes up with stuff and I'm like, where did you get that? Well, welcome to Freedom House. If I haven't had a chance to meet you, my name is Diana Henderson and my husband and I get to be your campus pastors here at the best Freedom House campus there is. Yeah. Give some love to South End. If you're new here, welcome. We do things a little bit differently at Freedom House. We have what's called a teaching team. It's a group of communicators that rotate around our campuses every weekend so that you get a live word of God. Nothing against the video venue churches, but that's just not how we do it. We do it with live communicators. Now that's a vision that God gave to our church. And what's cool is it's unique. To our knowledge, there's not another church across the U.S. that's doing it this way. And I don't know about you, but I kind of like it. Pretty awesome. It's a vision from our senior pastors, Troy and Penny Maxwell. Can we just give them some honor? It's important to give honor where honor is due. And listen, we're one house with many rooms. So in addition to South End, we also have our Lake Norman campus, our central campus, and our online campus. So if you're traveling, don't be missing church. You can tune in live. We live stream on Sundays. And we record the messages from South End on our podcast. You can go back and listen if you missed that. All right, guys. We are wrapping up our Red Flag series today. And red flags, what are they? It's those early warning signs that help you understand that there might be something in the relationship that could be damaging to one or both parties. It's important that we understand red flags. They're all over culture today. Anybody watch the Super Bowl? Okay, when Travis Kelsey started screaming at his coach, 
my family in the room in unison was like, red flag. <laughs> and then the camera pans to his girlfriend, Taylor Swift, who's sitting there chugging a beer. And I'm like, gosh, red flag. Goodness gracious. You know, since we started this series, several of you have been inboxing me on Instagram, sending me some of your favorite red flags. I don't know if these are legit from your own dating experiences or not, but I thought I'd share some of them with you because some of them were pretty good. All right, this red flag said that they, uh, the person they were dating still had their ex in their favorites on their phone. Red flag. This person said that, that uh, they talk about their ex on the regular. Red flag. Or they don't ask any questions about me, meaning all they do is talk about themselves. Don't be pointing fingers in here. Or conversely, they don't talk about themselves at all. Maybe that's a red flag. Or how about this one? They're unkind to other people, especially those in the service industry. So servers or cashiers, red flag. Or how about this one? deletes their text message history. Listen, I'm just saying, you don't need to save storage on your phone. Like, hang on to those texts because you might need to reference something. Ghosts when they're avoiding a hard conversation. And if you're old like me and you don't know what ghosting is, it literally is when you disappear and go AWOL. How about has an unhealthy relationship with his or her mom? red flag. Or this is one of my favorites. Somebody sent me this. If they are from this country, <laughs> red flag. Now, red flags are not just societal. They're not just cultural. They're also biblical. You know, in the book of Exodus in chapter 20, God gives Moses the 10 commandments. And if you notice, Eight of the Ten Commandments are written in a negative language to infer some sort of a warning. Thou shalt not have any other gods before me. Thou shalt not murder. Thou shalt not steal. These were red flag warnings that God was saying to warn us against unrighteous behavior. Or the Old Testament prophets, the New Testament apostles, would use words as warning signs to highlight red flags for all of us against the dangers in life. An example in the Old Testament is Isaiah. He went to the people and he's like, you gotta get rid of your idols, red flags, otherwise God's destruction is gonna come upon you. Or how about Paul in the New Testament? He wrote two thirds of the New Testament and most of his books are letters to the churches going, Watch out for the false teachers who are going to sneak into your church and try and pull people away from Jesus. In fact, Paul highlights 20 red flags in the book or in 2 uh, Timothy chapter 3 verse 1. He says, "But mark this. There will be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves." Red flag. Lovers of money. Red flag. Boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents. Major red flag in my book. 
unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of the good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, have a, having a form of godliness but denying its power. And then Paul says something so profound, total mic drop moment. He says, have nothing to do with such people. Can I get an amen? Now, I just want to share that this is a biblical narrative. Paul's setting a precedent. He's saying, don't associate with the people who are doing this stuff. They're red flags on the play. Now, why is this important? Because it's totally counter to American Christianity today. American Christianity says, oh, just love everybody and just hang out with everybody regardless of the flags on the play. And we got to recognize that Bible is different than culture today. You know, even Jesus, the good shepherd, he recognized the pitfalls, the dangers that Satan would set for us as traps to try and lure us away. Those are red flags. And the scripture says that Jesus leads us with a rod and a staff. And it has a crook on it to sometimes hook us and pull us away from those red flags. Red flags are signals. They're warning signs. They're indicators that we need to pay attention to. But I would take that one step further. I would say red flags should be even more than just signals. They should be switch rails that help us to switch direction. What's a switch rail? Well, if you've ever seen a railroad track, it's that mechanism that literally when it's operated, it will change direction of the track so that the train goes this way instead of this way. Switch rails, when we engage them, will help us change direction. Now, the foundational scripture of today's message is Proverbs 27, verse 12. It says, the prudent, turn to your neighbor and say prudent, See danger and take refuge. But the simple, turn to your other neighbor and say, you not simple. They keep going and they pay the penalty. So the prudent take refuge, but the simple pay the penalty. Now what I love about this scripture is that the prudent and the simple both see the danger coming. But the prudent takes refuge and the simple sees it and then has to pay a penalty. If you think about some of the red flags we shared at the beginning, the person you're seeing has their ex in their favorites on their phone, Prudence gonna be like, uh, what's up with that? But the simple might be like, eh, you know, maybe they're good friends still. Or how about this? Think of it like somebody comes to you and a friend and is like, listen, I-77 leaving town, dead stop traffic, avoid it at all costs. And you heed the advice, you're the prudent, and you're like, yeah, I'm gonna go a different way. But then your friend is like, yeah, I'm gonna take a risk. And they go I-77, what do they do? They land in the traffic and they sit in dead stop traffic for hours upon hours. That is what's happening here. The scriptures distinguishing between prudent and simple. When you spot red flags, are you gonna be prudent and take refuge? Or are you gonna be facing penalty because you've ignored the red 
the, the warning signs. What does prudence look like? Switch rail, changing directions. It might look like unpacking that red flag to understand what's going on in that circumstance. It might look like seeking guidance, like asking somebody you trust, like, hey, I think I see a red flag, what's going on here? Maybe it's taking a pause on the relationship. It might be employing some boundaries or maybe ending the relationship altogether. What does penalty look like? It looks like ignoring the red flags. You know they're there, but you're not addressing them. It looks like making excuses for the red flags. Ooh. You start to explain those red flags away. Maybe a broken heart. Penalty also looks like abusive relationships. So how do you respond to red flags? With prudence or with penalty? Title of today's message is prudence or penalty. And if you haven't figured out, we're gonna be talking about dating relationships. But listen, if you're married, don't tune out because there's nuggets in here for you as well. But what I wanna do is I wanna unpack some red flags in a dating relationship to help my single Pringles. Where y'all at? Okay, if you are single, raise your hand. Keep it up. Hi. Wave it in the air like you just don't care. No, okay. Do it again. Raise your hand if you're single. Okay, now look around the room. You meet your spouse at Freedom House. Molly and Brian, examples of that. Come on. All right. All right, guys. I would encourage you to take some notes because we're going to learn some things today. Ready? Red flag number one. They aren't living for Jesus. Red flag. Now, might I say that if you were a Christian in your dating walk, you probably looked for somebody else who was a Christian. I mean, I, I, I'll beg to say, if you're a Christian, you probably didn't seek out a relationship with an atheist or a Muslim and go, hey, let's see how this works out. <laughs> right? Like you had a standard. I want somebody who also is walking with Jesus. But here's what happens. That's prudence, by the way when you're seeking out somebody in a dating relationship who also lives for Jesus. Here's what happens though, is you get on the dating field and all of a sudden you start to change your standard because, well, you know, they're cute. They make good money. They're funny, they're so funny. And all of a sudden, your standard has totally been changed. Now, let's be honest. Can we be honest up in church? Okay, if somebody you're dating is a 9.5 on the hotness scale, out of 10, by the way, 9.5 out of 10 on the hotness scale, might you go, well, you know, they're not going to church, but, you know, they say they love Jesus and they're really hot. You know, they, they, they aren't reading their Bible, but man, they're so hot. And all of a sudden, that standard of finding someone who is also living for Jesus is now diluted and you're accepting less than God's best for yourself. Let me just tell you this. The fruit 
should tell you everything you need to know about the tree. If somebody's living for Jesus, it will be evident. Matthew 7 verse 16 says, by their fruit, you will recognize them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes? No. Or figs from thistles? In other words, if the person you're dating loves Jesus, then you'll see it. They're not going to be cussing out the customer service person on the phone. They're not going to be using the middle finger all the time in road rage on the interstate. Now, I'm not saying perfection. Y'all hear me? I'm not saying perfection. But I am saying that the fruit should match the tree. It says, likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear bad fruit. I like how the Bible sometimes is just so simple. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, by their fruit, you will recognize them. Prudence recognizes the bad fruit and addresses it, calls it out, understands it. But penalty does nothing and hopes the tree's just going to change on its own. Prudence turns to penalty when red flags are ignored. They love Jesus, or they say they do, but they're not living for Jesus. And then that standard of great is good enough. Ooh. Prudence says, no matter how cute they are, no matter how much money they make, no matter how much I love their friends, my standard is someone who's living for Jesus and I will not settle for anything less. And the single Pringle said, amen. Second Corinthians chapter six, verse 14, it says, do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. For what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness or what fellowship has light with darkness? What accord has Christ with Belial, which is Satan? Or what portion does a believer share with an unbeliever? All right, I'm not talking about breakfast here when I'm talking about yokes. This is the word zugos in the Hebrew, and it, or excuse me, in the, in the Greek, and it means the yoke that's placed over the animal's necks. I think we've got a picture of it coming. Here we go. All right, see that piece of wood with the around their necks. Thank you. That's a yoke. And the unequally yoked animals, if they were unequally yoked, there was an inherent imbalance in these animals. And that yoke was prepared for them to be able to operate whatever equipment to complete whatever task. Now, when animals are equally yoked, there's a comparable strength that's applied to either side of that yoke, which allows them to move the union forward. Now in relationships, equal yoking looks like empowering each other in your walk with Christ. It looks like helping each other resist temptation. It looks like pointing each other back to Jesus. And listen, it doesn't mean they're perfect, but it does mean they're aware, you're aware of each other's shortcomings and you hold each other accountable. That's what equal yoking looks like. 
But when animals are unequally, unequally yoked, what happens is the stronger one is applying a greater force in that yoke. And all of a sudden there's friction, there's pain, it's uncomfortable. And what you gotta imagine is that that union now all of a sudden is moving in what? In a circle. The same applies in our relationships. If you're pursuing an intentional walk with God, yet the person you are dating is not, you will find your relationship going in circles instead of moving forward. That's penalty. The red flag of unequal yoking, listen, it doesn't mean that that person is bad, but it means that they shouldn't be matched with you. So maybe you're here going, okay, Pastor D, what does it mean to have a standard of living for Jesus? Well, here's what I would ask you. How would you describe your walk with Jesus? Maybe it's, I'm going to church every Sunday. Maybe it's, I'm tithing. Maybe it's, I'm in a life group. I'm in a Bible study. I'm serving at church. Well, if that's your standard, just match that to the person you're dating. Does it match? And if it doesn't, there's an unequal yoking. Y'all tracking? All right, red flag number two. Your people don't like them. I can just end right here. If your people don't like the person you're dating, there's a red flag, guys. I can promise you. Now listen, who's your people? It's your friends, your family, maybe your parents, your cousin, whoever's like super close to you and like loves you no matter what. If your people don't like the person you're dating, I can promise you there's a red flag on the play. It's not because they don't want you happy. It's not because they're being overprotective, but they see something that you don't. We need to pay attention when the people we love don't love the person we're with. Anybody know the Steve Stills song from like way back? Love the one you're with, love the one you're with, love the one you're with. I don't, I don't know who Steve Stills is, but I know that song. And let me just tell you, if they don't love them, you probably shouldn't either. Prudence in this situation looks like seeking to understand more. If the people who love you don't love them, find out why. Ask them, ask them to unpack that for you so that you can see what maybe they're spotting. You know, I dated a guy in high school for like five years, high school into college. He was a total jerk, total loser. Says a lot about me. But then I found Pastor Matt, so. You're a catch, babe. But my big brother, who was like my ride or die, my best friend, could not stand this guy. And I totally missed it. So then when we broke up, my brother was like, yeah, he did this. He treated you like junk. He looked at you like you were nothing. And I'm like, oh my gosh, had I just asked my brother who cared so much, I would have seen the red flags. What happens when you don't heed the feelings, the perceptions, the perspectives of the people who love you? Here's what I see time and time again, is you end up not bringing your significant other around your people. Maybe the family Sunday dinner, you're like, you know, I'm just gonna leave them at home because 
just want to avoid the conflict. Let's avoid the drama. But before you know it, you're not going to the family Sunday dinners either. And all of a sudden, you realize that you've totally and completely withdrawn and isolated from the people who love you most. We've got a word against that. That's penalty when you've isolated from the people who love you for the sake of the one you're with. Now, let me just give you a tip. Bring them around your people as soon as possible. Let your people suss them out. And let me just tell you, this is totally counterculture to today, right? Today, culture says, wait until you're sure that they're the one, then bring them around your people. Now, we've got a son, Gino, where you at? Gino. Gino just celebrated 25 years of life on Friday. Happy birthday, Gino. And Eugene knows that when he meets a girl, we tell him to ask her two things. Number one, will you come to church with me? Number two, will you come to lunch with my family after church? And he knows that if the answer is no to either one of those, red flag. <laughs> Bring them around your family, your people right away. Because the Bible says to seek counsel. The Bible says to let your people help you in those situations. Proverbs 12, verse 15, it says the way of fools seems right to them, but the wise listen to advice. Proverbs 1, 5 says, let the wise hear and increase in learning, and the one who understands obtain guidance. Proverbs 27, verse 9, ointment and perfume delight the heart, and the sweetness of a man's friend gives delight by hearty counsel. Another one of my favorites, it says that there's safety in a multitude of counselors, Bring your date or your mate around your people and then watch. See how they handle themselves. Are they engaging? Do they seem interested? Are they acting weird? Like pay attention to that stuff. I can promise you God is going to highlight any red flags that you need to be aware of. Now let me also give a tip for those who've been in the dating game maybe longer than you've wanted to be or longer than you anticipated, I want you to be aware of a ploy that the enemy is gonna try to attack you with. And that is moving too quickly. Because what I found is what the enemy can't stop, he'll try to accelerate either with the wrong one or the right one too soon. The enemy will try to accelerate what he can't stop, either with the wrong one or with the right one too soon. All right, y'all ready for red flag number three? All right, let's do it. Red flag number three, they don't fight fair. They don't fight fair. Fighting, disagreeing, or intense fellowship as they call them in Christian circles. It's totally and completely normal. Fighting is normal, disagreeing is normal because you're not gonna always see eye to eye. And if you're in here and you're like, oh, we never fight, can I just say that is a bold-faced lie? Or the person you're dating is living a bold-faced lie because relationship has conflict. It's one of the key ingredients in relationship when done healthy. 
Proverbs 27, verse 17 says, as iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. In other words, if you're in a relationship with somebody who's sharpening you, sparks are going to fly. Because the two metals hit each other, sparks are going to fly. If you're dating somebody who's sharpening you, you're going to see sparks. But it's important that you do so in a healthy way. Now, for Matt and I, we no longer argue because he's finally realized that he just needs to see it my way. (laughs) Totally kidding. If you've been around us any length of time, you know that we argue and bicker, and it's all part of being married. It happens. Where are my married people at? Yeah. Every day has a little bit of that, right? And the, the, the deeper you go in your marriage, the more you do with a smile. In all seriousness, though, if the fights in your relationship, whether you're married or you're dating, if they get ugly or they reveal a bad side of you or leave you feeling hopeless and helpless, might I challenge you that there might be a red flag on the play? Prudence recognizes that unhealth and addresses it says, okay, hold on, we got to work this out because this this is not fighting fair. Whereas penalty comes when you've tolerated it, and at some point it's going to escalate. It doesn't just naturally get better on its own. You've got to learn tactics to improve upon that. What are some signs of unfair fighting? Name-calling. Resurrecting dead things. You know what I'm talking about? Like, you're like, oh, we buried that sucker, but it's climbing back out of the grave and is walking around in our fight right now like a zombie. (laughs) Threats of ending the relationship. Physical harm, which is never okay. And if you're in here and that's happening in your relationship, married or dating, come see one of our trusted leaders. Come talk to us. We want to get you help. Silent treatment or ghosting. You get in a fight and the other person just won't talk to you. Screaming, yelling, or throwing things. Or what I call conditional arguing. Now this is different than boundaries. Conditional arguing is when you say, if you love me, you will fill in the blank. I'm gonna unpack that a little bit more in just a moment. Gaslighting. You know, when somebody flips the script, the very thing you brought up about them, they're now saying you're guilty of, and you're like. Returning to normal without an apology or acknowledgement of bad behavior, like that's unfair fighting. Love bombing, sneaking in with flowers to just make it okay. You know, if any of these are typical behaviors in your relationship, there's a red flag that needs to be unpacked. And I'm not saying that it's past the point of no return, but it's time to get some help. If you're married and any of these things are happening, get help. Whether it's engaging counseling, talking to a pastor at the church, but don't do it alone. Proverbs 26 verse 21 says, as charcoal to hot embers and wood to fire, so is a quarrelsome man for kindling strife. Proverbs 20, verse 3, it says, It's an honor for a man to keep aloof from strife, but every fool 
will be quarreling. That word quarreling or quarrelsome is the word minyanim in Hebrew, and it means to continually sow discord or cause strife. You know, at Freedom House, we have two rules. One rule is don't interrupt the service. The second rule is don't cause strife. Strife is toxic, it's infectious, it's cancerous, and it will spread like wildfire if you don't address it. And I can tell you, it will bring penalty. Back to that conditional arguing. You know, this is a, a tactic that the enemy used against Jesus. Now, you might be like, hold on, Jesus wasn't in relationship with the enemy. There was a relationship. It wasn't a healthy one, but there was a relationship so in Matthew chapter four, Jesus is in the wilderness and he's literally, he's just been baptized. He's about to start his three and a half year term of ministry and the enemy comes at him with this ploy. He's manipulating him and he says, if you are the son of God, you've been starving for 40 days, 40 nights, turn these stones into bread. He says, if you are the son of God, then cast yourself down from this mountain and the angels will just retrieve you at the bottom. He says, if you are the son of God, he's taunting them. He says, all this I will give you. And he's highlighting kingdoms and royalty and majesty through these visions. He says, if you bow down and worship me. That's that's conditional arguing. It's manipulative. It's weaponizing conditions. Totally opposite from boundaries which are healthy. And here's a really simple way to know the difference. Conditional arguing says, if you love me, then you will fill in the blank. A boundary says, because I love you, I'm putting this boundary in place. You see the difference? What does fighting fair look like? Looks like active listening. Hearing what the other person has to say. It looks like two-way dialogue. Not a monologue, not a soliloquy. It's listening and dialoguing together. Looks like burying the hatchet. Letting those dead things stay in the ground. It looks like go-forward commitments. What does that sound like? Hey, moving forward, I'm gonna work really hard not to interrupt you. I, I, I see that I've been doing that, I'm sorry for that. Or it might be, hey, going forward, I'm not gonna walk out of the room when I'm mad. Even though it's what I'm tempted to do, I'm not gonna walk out of the room when I'm mad. That's a go forward commitment. Compromise is fair fighting. Boundaries is fair fighting. One of the most important ingredients in relationship is conflict. It's like soup with salt. You can't have soup without salt. I mean, maybe some soups, but generally speaking, you use salt and soup. It seasons it, it flavors it. Conflict is helpful in relationships. But if you just take a whole thing of salt and dump it in the soup, what's gonna, be, what's gonna happen? It ruins it. Same with conflict in a relationship. You see, God intended us to be in healthy relationship. That's why it's so important 
that we can see the red flags, the warning signs, so that we can grow in our lateral and vertical relationships, or sorry, horizontal relationships, so that we can be in good relationship with the Father vertically. Now, maybe you're going, okay, Pastor D, like I've seen some red flags, what you've been saying, like I'm starting to pick up on some red flags in my relationship, but what do I do? What does the scripture say? The prudence, the prudence, see, see danger and seek refuge. God is our refuge. He's our ever-present help in trouble. So what do you do? I'm gonna encourage you to ask God. Go to him, ask him what he's calling you to do in this situation. Is he asking you to get help? Is he calling you to enlist support? Ask him. He's gonna show you. You know, God also sent refuge in the form of Jesus, our savior who died on the cross for you and for me so that we didn't have to pay the penalty of our everyday sins. Will you guys stand to your feet? I wanna share a story. There's a, a river that has a bridge that runs parallel to the riverbank. And this is a huge river, so big that the ships can go by on either side of the bridge. But on some occasions, this bridge actually runs perpendicular to the river because a switch rail is pulled and it pivots that bridge so that a train can cross. And there's a man who operates the switch rail. That's his sole job. He sits in a hut on the side of the river. And when he sees a train coming, he engages that switch rail to pivot the bridge so that it can align with the track and the train can cross by safely. One day, the man who operated the switch rail, he saw a train coming in the distance. So he did what he always did, and he operates that switch rail, moves the bridge, and as he's trying to lock that switch rail in position, he realizes that the mechanism is malfunctioning and it's not locking into place. But here's the passenger train coming regardless. And he realizes that it's gonna be difficult, maybe not impossible, but difficult. He's gonna have to employ strength to hold this switch rail into position so that the train can pass by safely. And then he hears a sound that devastates him. It's his four-year-old son who's walking across the bridge looking for him. And he realizes in that moment that even if he cried out to his son, his son's little legs would not be able to move fast enough or far enough to get to safety. And the man is faced with a decision. If he leaves his post to save his son, hundreds of passengers on this train will fall to their fate of probably death. But if he stays in position, he knows the fate of his four-year-old son. Moments go by as the passenger train goes safely 
across the bridge to the other side. Not a single passenger even realizes the situation at hand as the little boy's lifeless body falls into the river. Can you imagine having to make a decision like that? This is actually a fiction story. It's one that's used in most ethics classes to teach the impossibility of having to make such a devastating decision. It's almost humanly impossible to, to imagine having to do that. But do you know that's exactly what God did for us? God engaged that switch rail and he sent his beloved son to the cross to die for your sins and for my sins so that we could live an eternity with God unhindered. No penalty paid on our side. When God engaged that switch rail, he chose you. But will you choose him today? If I could just have all eyes closed and all heads bowed. I believe God is saying, listen, no matter your relationship status, who you're dating, who you're married to, I care about your heart is what God's saying. I care about your relationship with me. I care about your eternity and whether or not it will be secured. And even though God chose us, we still have to choose him. And if you're in here today, and you'd like to choose a life with God, it's so simple. All it takes is a yes for Jesus, an acknowledgement that he died on the cross for you, that he rose again. Maybe you're in here today and you made that decision at some point, but you've fallen off. Maybe a relationship took you off course from your relationship with Jesus. That's okay. No rebuke here. God wants to give you a second chance today, but will you choose Jesus? If you're in here and you'd like to make that decision for Jesus for the first time or for the hundredth time as a recommitment, will you just lift your hand right where you are so I can pray with you? I see your hand, I see your hand, I see your hand. Thank you, I see your hand. Thank you, thank you. Hands up all over. Thank you, Jesus. And church, we're gonna say a prayer all together. If you'll just repeat after me at church, join in. Repeat it with your own words as loud as you can hear with your ears. Say, Heavenly Father, thank you for loving me so much that you sent Jesus, my refuge, to die on the cross for me. I believe he died. I believe. He rose again. Thank you that he washes me clean and I'm forgiven. Today, I choose Jesus. I make him Lord and savior of my life from this point forward. In Jesus' name.